You're listening to My First by Athletes Media Group. My First is a series that takes athletes down memory lane as they reflect back on intimate moments and the highs and lows of their first professional game and their first professional season. On this episode of My First, we were joined by NBA legend Penny Hardaway. This is a great conversation with Penny. We talked about his college days at Memphis, including getting shot, and then to the NBA where he played with Shaq, the cultural movement known as Lil Penny. If you are Jordan or I's age, you know exactly what that is. And then we talked about his current job with Memphis. So enjoy, and here we go with Penny. Welcome back to another chapter in our My First series. We have a very special guest today. We have Penny Hardaway. How are you doing, Penny? Doing good, guys. How are you guys doing? We're doing pretty well. How about you, Jordan? Just happy to be on the call with you, Penny. Yeah, for sure. (laughs) So um, we're going to talk about quite a few of your firsts. We're going to talk about your first game. We're going to talk about draft night, your first bucket. Um, Let's jump right into Friday, November 5th of 1993 in Miami how much I mean how many memories do you have of that night well I have a ton of memories about that night because the Miami Heat was like dominant in this series against the Magic and I remember Scott Skiles who was our starting point guard at the time saying to uh either Glenn Rice or somebody from the Heat there's going to be a different story tonight and it was going to be a different ball game and, and we beat them that game I remember I remember quite a few from a uh, few things from that game Good. We're going to get into it. So can you take us into the the pregame locker room, the tunnel, uh, starting lineups, what you were doing before the game? What memories do you have kind of leading up to first tip? Well, obviously, you know, just on cloud nine, being in the NBA and also wanting to to, you know, come into the league and show that I belong and uh, a tough first game, uh, uh, a conference first game, a division first game at Miami, uh, right down the road. Don't know how that game happened with the league, but it was, um, you know, just one of those nights to where you knew it was the first game. You knew everybody was going to be trying to check up to see what kind of stats you had. All I wanted to do was win the game, honestly. I wanted to win the game, and I wanted to contribute in a, in a, in a, in a nice way to help us win that game. What was the energy like in the arena, specifically because it was that Florida rivalry? Yeah, like you said, in the locker room, you know, the energy was high. Uh, in the tunnel, running out, the energy was high. And um, it was it's interstate rivalry, you know, with the Heat and Magic. You know, they thought that we were really soft. They were playing the Disney World music. Uh, <laughs> when they, when we, did our, uh, we did our lineups. Uh, when we ran out, they played the Disney World music, like uh, the Magic Kingdom music. And, you know, for us, we were the soft kids, uh, the Mickey Mouse kids, and they were the hard Miami Vice you know, type of situation. So that made it really fun. Like, oh, they think we're soft. So let's go ahead and uh, and get it on. And and they had some dudes. I mean, it was John Sally, Ronnie Cycli, kind of that group. Were you nervous at all? You ended up nearly dropping a triple-double. So it seems like you did okay. But as the ball tipped or even in pregame uh, warm-ups, how, what were your nerves like? I think I was more anxious than nervous because I understood it was my first game. And I wanted to do well, and I wanted to win. But also, I I felt like I could I could handle the situation, not being cocky or anything. I just I was a very confident player, so I was more anxious to get the game going, those nerves, uh, to get the jump ball going and, and start playing. 
Do you remember who was on you that night for the majority of the game? Um, do you need to, do you need to hear some names maybe to be reminded? Yeah, let, let me hear the let me hear that uh, roster, please. John Sally, Ronnie Cycli, Harold Miner, Glenn Rice, Steve Smith, Bimbo Coles, Willie Burton, Brian Shaw. It was definitely Bimbo. Okay. And, uh, <laughs> Bimbo, I can remember Bimbo. Uh, Smitty did play that game. It, Smitty was so nice. That was one of my favorite players when he was at Michigan State. So I was I was anxious to play against Smitty. And then Brian Shaw, being one of the you know the better players of you know like role players that understood the game, high IQ, six six guard. So I was like, okay, I got a I got a nice crew of guards to play against. But I was ready to dominate. Do you have any uh, specific highlights from that first game that you remember of your play specifically? I remember when I um. I think Ronnie Cycli went to, to lay a ball up uh, on our big man. Maybe it was a backup big man. Maybe Shaq was on the bench, and I blocked it. And I remember Scott Skiles. Scott was so fired up for that game, man. He, he was talking so much trash. Like, it's a new day. It's a new day. We're not going for that anymore. You know, something of that nature. But I do remember that block that I had on him that was kind of implement, uh, instrumental in us going on a run um, to beat them. Loathe as I am to bring it up, were there any specific lowlights or, you know, first game jitters on the court that you remember? Well, I think, you know, they were a very aggressive team. They um, they were physical. They were aggressive. So I can remember the physicality of the game of them trying to be a little rough, you know, rough or, you know, uh, bump you going through the, on cuts. You know, anytime you tried to drive to the basket, just the physicality of the game. So that's the first, that's, the, that's what I remember the most about that game. So I, I ran through the Heat roster a second ago. Did you have any familiarity with any of those guys, either from college days, um, or I guess maybe even back to high school, or was that pretty much the first time you stepped on the floor with any of those guys? Well, obviously, me being a huge basketball fan, I remember John Sally when he was at Georgia Tech. I remember Cycli when he was with Derek, Derek Coleman and those guys at Syracuse. Bimbo Coles, I played with his brother. Uh, his little brother played with me at Memphis for one year. Sidney Coles, so I remember I knew Bimbo. Obviously, Steve Smith, like I said, he's one of my favorite players uh, in college, when he was in college. And uh, Brian Shaw, I remember him from the Celtics days. So I, I was very well aware of what I was going up against, for sure. So do you think Bimbo had a little bit of a playbook on you? You think some info was shared there? Absolutely. I think Sidney <laughs> probably told him. <laughs> so because he was a smaller guard. Bimbo was tough, though. He was really tough. And he was scrappy, and he had a lot of pride. The pride came from not wanting me to post him up because I was posted. Our coach, Brian Hill, posted me up a lot against the smaller guards. So, you know, I kind of had an advantage on him in that area. So this is always one of my favorite questions. I want to know who was talking that night. Um, a lot of people may not know. Scott Skiles was – I mean, he'd get after it a little bit. He talked, didn't he? He did. Scott was one of the biggest trash talkers in the league, man, but he could back it up. He was tough. He wasn't scared of anything. Very high IQ. I think he still holds the record with the most assists in one game. 33? 31. Is it 33? I thought it was 31, but I mean, he, he, he was just such a competitor, man. He's a guy that you look at and you wouldn't pick him in open gym if you saw him sitting on the sideline. <laughs> Got the so Woody Harrelson vibes to him? Yeah, when it came to competing, <laughs> he was the hardest competitor, man, that I ever practiced with, for sure. And who, el with. who else was talking on that on that team? Or even on your team? I mean, you, you guys had well, some Shaq, personality. It didn't take much for Shaq. Shaq was probably, he's one of the bigger trash talkers as well. So, you know, he and Ronnie Cycli were into it. Uh, Ronnie didn't really talk smack, but Shaq was doing a lot of talking as well. 
Speaking of Shaq, obviously you walk into a dressing room that he's in there. Uh, be, with having exposure to him and some of the other bigger names on the Magic, were there any, wow, I'm on the court with so-and-so for your first game? Absolutely. I think I got used to that because I did the movie Blue Chips with Shaq. Oh, we'll so get into that. Yeah. Play with him, kind of get accustomed to what was going on and get familiar with him. But still, you know how fast he was. A lot of people don't remember that, that Shaq. Shaq was very small. Very athletic, very fast, and he was a totally different player. But he was raw offensively, and he added things to his game every year. But he was so fast and so athletic, man. He made my game so much easier. Did so on the the first game. You're in Miami, um, so this 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 question could be for the Miami game or your first home game. What was the ticket situation like for you? Like, how many did you have to round up for friends and family? Was it a big number? You know, for my first game, it was probably about 30 tickets. The one That's in Miami really or your first though. home that game? It was probably about 30 tickets at the Heat. Oh, really? So, I mean, be- wanted to see my first, they wanted to, plus, you know, that's Miami. It's a vacation spot. Yeah. <laughs> and my friends wanted to come down and, and check that game out because, you know, playing against Steve Smith, everybody knew how much I love Steve. Steve, and uh, it was Miami versus Orlando. So, being a, being a rookie, even being a high-profile rookie, how'd you go about rounding up 30 tickets? Well, first of all, you got to talk to the big fella, Shaq. Because that's, <laughs> how you get the most, that's how you get the most tickets. And then you got to become friends with the, uh, with the media department uh, or, the, uh, the, the, uh, yeah, with the tickets and the guys. And just kind of the guys that weren't using their tickets, I got those tickets. And obviously, I had to pay for more. Did you have to tear some of your family and friends on who got the best tickets and then maybe who started creeping up to the upper decks? You know what's so weird? Back then, the Miami Heat didn't have a lot of fans. So all of my tickets were actually in a great situation. The fans weren't coming to the games back then. It was just something to do, and the arena was, wasn't really packed. So getting back to your play on, on the court that first night, 12 points, 8 assists, um, really good numbers by any account. 8 rebounds, for, too. And 8 rebounds for a first game. Were there any lessons that you took with you from that first game that you, that you carried with you through the first season and beyond? Yeah, I, I, was, uh, I was anxious. I think I learned to calm myself down. Um, I think that a lot of the plays I was trying to make, I was going in the traffic too deep. I was, you know, shots that I knew that I could make. Uh, that night, I think I took a couple. I should have took more. Should have took more open shots. I passed up some shots and got some turnovers. Uh, you know, it's just you start thinking about when I watch film because I'm a, I'm a, I study film all the time. Uh, the patience of a play of a pick and roll, uh, reading a guy on the weak side. Uh, missing a backdoor cut, you know, things of that nature, basically. And then defensively, just using my length more in a situation, you know, could have got a, a dumb foul for, you know, for just not using my length, getting up on a guy that was way faster than me, just trying to be a student of the game. So I took a lot from that game uh, moving forward, even though every game was going to be different. So that early on in that rookie year, correct me if I'm wrong, you played quite a bit of off guard and Scott was still handling the ball quite a bit. Um, did, was it a focus for you in that first game to take care of the ball? Because we, we see nowadays a lot of rookie guards will come in the league, and early on they can have turnover problems. You only had two turnovers in that first game. Was that a conscious decision, or is it just you just took care of the ball? Well, I think that, you know, back then it was such a huge premium put on guards being careful with the basketball and not being, you know, possession is king. And that's how I was, I was raised with the basketball. I wasn't really ever a high, high turnover guy. I was a high assist guy. But going into that game on the road, you cannot turn the ball over. So I was very conscious of 
not making too many dumb mistakes on throwing the ball away. I passed up some shots, but I didn't throw it away as much. So, yeah, I mean, as a young guy coming in, Scott Skiles was a guy that was very careful with the basketball, uh, made the right decisions, made the right reads, and, uh, and made the right plays, and I just tried to follow suit uh, in that first game. So obviously in college, at Memphis, you were an absolute stud, took the team to the Elite Eight in 1992. At what point in your college career did a, a, a pro career start to, to come into picture for you? I think early on. I think, um, you know, I had to sit out my freshman year, and then my sophomore year, we went to the Elite Eight. So after that Elite Eight, that Elite Eight was the same year that Michigan lost to North Carolina in the uh, – no, that was actually my next year. I'm sorry. That was 93. But when we went to the Elite Eight and lost to Cincinnati and the Elite Eight to Nick and those guys, I think at that point I started understanding that I had my stock had risen and everyone knew who I was. So I knew going into the next year that if I had a, a decent to good season that I was going to be out of there. And then by the midway point of my junior year, people started saying that I was going to be lottery. And it was just inevitable after that for me to just leave after that season. To interject quickly, you mentioned missing your first year. Um, and then as you're – college career went on you had if I saw correctly you had like a 3.4 GPA yeah well what happened was I just kind of locked in you know with anything if you lock in and you focus and you do what you're supposed to do and I, I credit our academic staff as well because they sat me down and was like hey you're not dumb you're not a kid that's going to flunk classes or can't do this once you lock in and I started to I locked in and started to become a fan of going to class, a fan of going to study hall, a fan of everything outside of basketball, like the classroom, and became a really good student. I was always a great student all the way up until about probably seventh, eighth grade, and then girls came into play. <laughs> girls My came man. into play, I lost focus in the classroom. <laughs> but when I got to college, I locked back in. <laughs> so do you think that that pays dividends now where running a program – to where you had that experience where you could kind of turn it around and then end up really excelling in the classroom. Do you think that helps you out now? Yeah, absolutely. I think I, I identified with it more than a lot of coaches because I had to sit out my first year. I had to, you know, readjust. So I have more patience with kids who aren't doing as well in class. Uh, I, I try to get to know what's going on. What's the problem? Is it a learning problem? Do we need more tutoring? Is it a focus problem? Is it, you just don't want to do it. School's not for everybody type of mentality. And I started that in middle school. When I first retired from the NBA, I started coaching middle school with my friend. So an after-school program was put together, and I made sure that all of our guys went to it because I knew it was going to be very important. And I would sit in on a lot of those uh, tutoring sessions just to make sure that they knew that it would be okay. And because of my experience with it in college, then it was easier for me to identify with it in middle school. Then I went on to high school. And then now in college, the same thing, because now it's so important to me. And when it becomes important to the head coach, you know, it's important to the kids as well. So for us at the University of Memphis, I've only been there two years, going into my, been here two years, going into my third year. We've broken the, the GPA record as a team uh, both years. So I'm very proud of that because of that. Do you think that the deep run into the tournament in 92 set you up for handling the bigger stage later on in your career, obviously meant to the Eastern Conference Finals, and specifically in regards to setting you up to be on a level playing field for this the first game of your career? Uh, yeah, I, I would say that had, that had something to do with it for sure, you know, making that run in the NCAA tournament. But it was basically how I was raised on the courts. 
it was it was the guys that kind of took me under their wing. The, the tough love of not being able to call fouls and having to go through adversity, not being able to shoot the ball when you had a smaller end where the non-players played, and then you had this what we call the big end where all the really good players played. And when they finally allowed me to play, I couldn't shoot. All I could do was play defense and get assists. So it kind of taught me how to grind through all of the the situations and the adversities. And as I got to college, I was ready for that that moment. And we went to the Elite Eight. And that Elite Eight only showed me that everything that I was taught at an early age, it just kind of came along with me as I got older. I never forgot it. And then I took that into the NBA as well. So there's similarities in the butterflies the first time you went from the the small end to the big end to going from college to the pros? I mean, is that a similar yeah, situation? because the pressure mounted. You know, there was no pressure on the small end. You're just out there playing. There's a lot of pressure on the big game because the guys were very serious about the game. You couldn't get out there and, and make uh, mental mistakes. You had to play physically tough. You couldn't give up layups. You couldn't give up open shots. It was almost like so much pressure, so much anxiety that you didn't want to blow the game. You didn't want to mess anything up. So the, the, how hard you had to play and all of that, that definitely carried over and taught me how to, how to play the game as I got older. So at what point did you start dreaming about playing in the NBA as and maybe as a kid? And how did that anticipation match up with the actual experience of running out on the floor for the first time under the bright lights? I think fourth grade, watching those Sixers and Celtics games with Dr. J, Andrew Tony, Moses Malone, um, that team, Andrew Tony, those guys, uh, and the Celtics, of course, with, with Bird and McHale and, and Parrish and DJ and all those guys. Watching those series growing up, I was like, I'm going to play in the NBA. You know, I, I love – where I'm from in Memphis, we didn't, we didn't have every game, but they would put the big game, the Sixers, the Lakers, the Celtics, and they would put those teams on all the time here. So when they played and watching those games, I was just dreaming through magic. I was dreaming through Dr. J. I was dreaming through Larry Bird. And even if a Spurs game came on, Iceman, George Gerben came on, I was dreaming through him. So – that kind of gave me the juices to say, hey, man, that's what I want to do. Fourth grade. Yeah, I love that. So I guess let's go to wrapping up that first game. Um, like you said, you got a big win over the Heat. You win by 20. Is it walking off the floor? Is it relief? Is it elation? I mean, is it just being excited? Kind of take us inside your mind as you're walking off that floor with a big win, nearly dropping a triple-double in your first game. Well, it was, it was definitely excitement because the culture in Orlando, we, I felt like I was going to be a part of changing that. You know, they had never made the playoffs. Uh, and, uh, and I think they came into existence in 88. Uh, they had never made the playoffs. And they were always looked at as a soft franchise because of being in Orlando with Disney World. Even though Orlando, Orlando is a beautiful city, uh, obviously Disney World gets so much respect there. They do so much for the city. Uh, and the, the image of what it brings to me is beautiful. It's family, it's, it's theme parks, it's, it's all the stuff that you want. You know, you want to live in a city like that. Um, it's, not, it, it's, 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 it's not looked upon amongst the tougher teams in the league as a tough, a tough city or a tough team. So when we won that game, it was like, okay, we, we, we're, getting, we're going to get our respect if we keep winning games on the road. And it was a road win. I've always taken pride in road wins for sure. Did you take any like physical mementos from that first game, uh, wristband, something like that, to, that, you've, that stuck with you? No, not really. I think I, it was just business as usual. Like, all right, we're one and zero. It's time to move on. And you know, and, and I knew it was going to be a hard season, but I think we were trying to 
you know, develop the culture of who we wanted to be as a team because we felt like we were going to be together for a while. But I didn't take anything from that game, socks or wristband or anything like that was my first game. I should have saved, you know, my yeah. sneakers, my shoes and my socks. You know, I think the guys nowadays are more mindful of doing things like that. Back then, I was just straight hooping. <laughs> yeah. like, we won the game, let's go. But now that you think about it, you're like, man, I wish I would have told the equipment manager to box up my shoes, my wristband, and my socks, and I can pull it out right now. Like, look, guys, I got the socks, or I got the shoes, or I got the wristband still. That, those are memories, so I wish that I would have been thinking on that level. Yeah, I was thinking about baseball. They they take the ball out for the first this, first that. There's uh, all kinds of stuff. A little, little more yeah. different with the, with the actual basketball <laughs> in basketball. Football is the same way. Yeah. First football, you know, give me that, you know, yeah, for sure. Let's talk some first. Um, it, it's kind of tough to come by play-by-play box scores um, from back in the early to mid-90s, but do you remember, like, do you remember your first bucket? Hmm, or your first remember. dunk? I don't remember either one, honestly. What about your first technical? Yeah, it probably took a while on that one. It's probably... <laughs> I don't think I got one my rookie year. It had to have been in my second year. I know I got one in my second year. Do you remember who gave it to you? Huh? Do you remember who gave it to you? If I'm guessing, it's going to be somebody like Steve Javi. Let's see who else. It wasn't uh, Ron, uh, Ronnie uh, Garrison. It, wasn't, it could have been Ronnie. could have been little Ronnie. <laughs> Ronnie or Steve Jabby. I would guess one of those two guys. So <laughs> would you ever call Ronnie little Ronnie? <laughs> no, not to his face. No, I'm just joking. No, he was actually uh there was a lot of pressure on him because of his father, you know, being ahead of him and he had a lot of pressure on getting it right and doing it the right way. But you know, we bump heads a lot uh because he was fiery and I was competitive as well. How many ejections did you have in your career? One. I'll never forget it. I think we were playing the Nets, or I remember I dunked on somebody. I had gotten a technical early in the game for something. And then I dunked on a guy and screamed and yelled, and the ref gave me the second tech. And I got ejected. And when I left the game, we were up 18. So after I left the game, I went to the movies. <laughs> What'd you see? I left the game and went to the movies. What'd you go and see? when I got done with the movies, I found out we lost. I was so sick. I was, I was, it was the worst feeling I've ever had as a basketball player. You left the arena. And we were up, and then we lost the game. I was like, oh, my God, I felt so bad. You left the arena? We had, yeah, I had to leave the arena. You know, I left the game, and I left the arena. I went to the movies. I didn't even stay, stay for the game. Do you remember what movie you went to go see? I do. I wish I knew. <laughs> but I wish I know, but I left the arena and went to the movies. So going back to – to that dunk, uh, for us mere mortals, we, we will never understand what the feeling is like. What what does it feel like to go up and absolutely just hammer it on somebody? You know, it's a great feeling because a lot of people can't do it. Yeah. You know, you got some guys yeah, that can dunk only on the fast <laughs> break. Uh, they get their momentum going, they'll dunk it. But there are not too many guys that are dunking on people. It's, it's, it's To me, it's an art when you learn how to do that at an early age. And I learned how to do that in 10th grade. And it carried with me all the way through, you know, my entire career. But, yeah, it's, it's a great feeling, man, when somebody's standing there and they're thinking they're about to block your shot and you, you move the ball out of the way or jump higher than them and hold the ball longer. And while they're going down, you dunk on them. And it just gives the team a different jolt of energy. 
Yeah, in the prep for this, I, I watched basically a 10-minute video of you just hammering it on guys. Do you have any – is there any uh, that specifically sticks out that really got you fired up? Huh. Did you ever hammer on Sean Bradley? <laughs> in high school. In high school. <laughs> we played in a Christmas tournament in, in Carolina, in Raleigh, North Carolina, and he was in that tournament, and we played them. And I probably dunked on him like four times. Seriously, <laughs> boy. And yet somehow he still went second. I don't know how that worked. Sean <laughs> was actually he was okay. You know what I mean? But to be seven six, Sean, nice guy. You know, could shoot it, could stretch it. Um, wasn't bad, man. He just, you know, seven six is seven six. Yeah. Though. I mean, he made it into Space Jam. <laughs> <laughs> who was uh, who was your toughest guard in your career? Both you guarding and the toughest defender for you to score on. Well, obviously, it was two guys that were really tough for me to guard. That was MJ, and that was Reggie Miller because Reggie was nonstop movement off those screens. Oh yeah, definitely yapping. Definitely, those two guys were tough because of the the energy uh, in which they played with uh, those two guys were very tough. And as far as who guarded me, I would say guys like Gary Payton who were long rangy, their whole defense was set up around. If you get, if you beat him, then another guy would be there. And he was so tough to beat. So he was one. The other guy uh, was more physical with me than anything. God rest his soul. It was Bobby Fields that played for Charlotte Hornets back in the day that ended up passing away in a car crash after a shoot around or something like that. So he was another strong body, physical, try to, you know, beat me up and, and, and be very physical with me. Those guys were, were tough for me to play against as well. I have a couple Shaq related questions. Do you remember the, the first thing he ever said to you upon arriving in Orlando? What would Shaq say? It would be something silly. <laughs> no, that doesn't would, sound yeah, like him. <laughs> What's up? It would be, um, yo, what's your name? You know, it, it'd be something like he didn't know you, or I just spent the entire summer with him. Uh, it might have been, what's up, Butch, instead yeah. of calling me Penny. You might have called me Butch, yeah. but now uh, Shaq and I, we just kind of joked around a lot. We really didn't talk basketball a lot. We just had this great chemistry on the court and off the court. It was just fun and games. Did you ever dunk on him in practice? I dunked it at the, at the movie site. At the movie oh. site? Hey, that counts. Friend, hold on, listen. We had a basketball goal on the site. I'll never forget this. And the ball was shot, and he just turned around and looked, and I jumped and came over his back and dunked it. <laughs> and I knew not to stay up there long. I jumped down because I knew he was going to just knock me off the, off the rim if I stayed up there. <laughs> so I, I, I want to talk about, before we get into more of the first type things, I want to talk about if there was like a turning point in your life I, I want to go back to your freshman year um, when you were academically ineligible. You also had the issue uh, where a stray bullet had come yep. and hit you, and it, it was kind of a lot. And it sounds like, I don't want to say on a dime, but like pretty much immediately you got your grades in order. You kind of started to blossom as a star that you turned into a household name. I mean, can you just, again, talk about the importance of that on the rest of your lives? rest of your life, and then going back to your alma mater to get your degree? Yeah, I think, you know, just to talk about the, the gun incident, it was just being in the, the right place at the wrong time. Uh, we had played basketball earlier that evening, and my cousin, myself, and another friend, he left his wallet in our vehicle, so we had, to, we had dropped him off at, at my aunt's home. We left, came back, 
And it was so such a weird night because we were sitting in front of my aunt's house waiting on my cousin to come out to get his wallet. And I kept seeing this one car pass by. And I noticed the car, I saw what was going on and never really registered that something was about to happen. And obviously these guys were driving around for trouble. So finally, I say to myself, I'm gonna get out, get the wallet and take it in. As uh, soon as I get out of the truck or the Jeep to get the wallet, the car stops next to me. And the guy asked me for directions to this very rich neighborhood in Memphis. He was like, hey man, uh, can you tell me how to get to here? And at that point, you know how you watch a movie, a movie goes backwards and then it comes back around and shows you what happened or whatever. At the, I just saw it like, man, I, it just went back to me just seeing this car passing by. And as soon as they said that to me, I was like, man, this is not good. And five seconds later, they jumped out with hats, baseball caps, and guns pointed right to our face. And as soon as they jumped out of the car, I hit the ground. I tried not to get, be a witness to anything. I just got, got on the ground. They took our belongings, and then they drove off. And when they drove about 50 yards away, they started shooting back to where we were almost as a joke or don't try to follow us type of thing. And one of the bullets ricocheted off the ground and hit me in the foot. After that night of going to the hospital, uh, the doctor said that it was at a position that wasn't going to be able to be taken out, that my basketball career could be in jeopardy because of the way the bullet was lodged in between my bones. Now my whole entire career is flashing before me like, oh my gosh, I'm already sitting out and now I get shot. You know, what's really going on? And once I got well, the bullet did move. They surgically uh, went in and took it out. I just kind of made a decision, even though I wasn't doing anything illegal to get shot, I was just going to my aunt's house. It just kind of gave me a different understanding of how precious life was, how things could be here one day and, and, and not, you know, cause they could have actually just shot us point blank and left us there for dead or killed us on that spot. So when I went back to school and when I got well, I was like, you know what, man, it's just a different mindset. I'm locked in, I'm focused, uh, I'm being more aware of what's going on. And the academic advisors start, you know, they, they were already helping me. I locked in more basketball wise. I was saying, you know, I need to just be in the gym and not anywhere else. I didn't go out when I was in college after that. It's kind of afraid to because of that, you know, being robbed and being shot. And it just kind of had me to lock in. And um, got a 3.4 GPA, ended up, playing the following year, going to the Elite Eight and making a name for myself. And then in, I left to go to the NBA. I came back in 03 to get my, uh, my degree. And that was one of the proudest moments of my life as well. But that night, I think about it a lot about how those guys could have, because the same group of guys, the, the next robbery, because they got caught doing the same thing the other guy, they, 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 killed those, they killed those people. So maybe they regretted not killing us because we were the ones that identified them after they robbed the other guys. And I think, I mean, that has to help you with your current position and even recruiting because a lot of people think Penny Hardaway and you think the highlights and, um, you know, the shoe contracts, the commercials, the on-the-court on the earnings. But you can be like, hey, before all that, I, I had times where I was down too and I was able to come back. It wasn't always roses, and I imagine that helps you get on the same level as a lot of your guys. Yeah, because life is going to hit you in so many different ways. And they look at me and see the side of the, the superstar, the, the little penny commercials, the phone posits, the sneakers, my entire sneaker line from Nike, but they don't see the side that was a Prop 48. They don't see the side that 
um, was shot uh, when I was a freshman. A lot of kids don't even know I was shot. Uh, and the adversities that I had to, to go through and still made it through and, still, and, and made it. So that, gives, that, that shit gives them more inspiration that, hey, coach, he really went through it uh, when he was growing up and he got shot. He was a Prop 48. So he really identifies with what, I, with what I'm going through. And there's a kid that's on my team right now that was going through some similar hard times. And when I was recruiting him, the very first conversation he opened up to me and kind of had some similarities, not to the point of where he got shot or he was a Prop 48, but he had some really bad things that happened to him from some guys that were coaching him when he was at AAU. And they, 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 they just didn't help him. They hurt him more than they helped him. And it really scarred him for a long time. And he's made it through all of that. So he identified with me because of that. And he ended up signing, you know, uh, committing and signing with us because of that reason. So when guys hear that, they get a comfort level with me. And uh, that makes them feel like, well, he's one of us. You know, he's just like me. And I can talk to him about anything. So moving back to the lighter, lighter side of things, um, going back to your first game, do you remember what shoes you were rocking that night? Man. I know they might have been some air, some flights. I don't know the exact name of them, but I know they were Nike. I, I hadn't had the air ups at that point. I didn't have the flight one. So it was probably just a normal, the shoe that they give every rookie coming in that they want to promote. <laughs> it was a no name brand type of sneaker, but it didn't matter at that time. They were new and I was ready to rock and roll. So how did the experience of your first game playing compare to the experience of your first game coaching at Memphis? Uh, way different for me because making it to my dream in the NBA and then having a first NBA game was amazing. Then I went from, you know, being a, uh, a kid who had nothing to being an instant millionaire in one night because of the draft. So all of those things, and I was able to take care of my family. It was a different mindset, a different joy. Uh, I made it out of a situation that most kids don't make it out of in my neighborhood. So a lot went into that. Uh, coaching was another great feeling, but it wasn't on the level of what that first NBA game was for me. So let, let's go back to draft night. Um, I guess even a little bit before the draft, what what went into your decision to entering the draft first? Well, the thing that went into my decision was they said I was going to be a top five pick. And then I started thinking about injuries, not being able to do better than what I, in the position that I was already at. I had an opportunity to go number one in the draft if Orlando would have had, um, if, if, if Orlando would have had, they had first pick, if Golden State would have been two, I would have went one, Chris Webber would have been two because Orlando was going to pick me. So I think that with Orlando having one, Philly having two, Golden State having three, Philly wanted a big man. That's why they chose um, Sean Bradley. Sean Bradley. <laughs> They were going to pick Chris Webber. If Orlando picked me one, Philly was going to pick Chris Webber. And I guess Orlando and Golden State worked it out and, uh, and had it happen that way. But I couldn't get any higher than what I was going. I was like, it's time to go. So I, tell me how much of this story is true, that Orlando initially was going to pair Chris Webber with Shaq, and you strongly felt you were going to be a better combo with Shaq. And on your last pre-draft workout, with Orlando, you kind of just showed up and wrecked everybody. And they were like, maybe this dude's right. He will be a better combo with Shaq. Is that all true? Yeah, for sure. That's 100% true. They were going to pick Chris Webber. I mean, think about it. Chris Webber with the five, with the Fab Five, uh, a physical presence on both ends. 
very high IQ, really good basketball player, uh, playing with Shaq. But I had to sell them on Magic and Kareem, you know what I mean? And and not, you know, Kevin McHale and, 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 and Big Chief. You know, I was like, okay, well, in the late part of the game, who, who are you going to go to? They're going to foul Shaq or they're going to foul Chris. You know, I'm trying to do whatever I can do to get to Orlando because I really want to say two big men versus a guard and a big man. How would you, you know, how it would be Magic and, Magic and Kareem. And that would be like the, the most amazing match uh, uh, duo in the league. And when I went down on my first visit, it was basically just, you know, sit and reach, vertical lead, 40, 40 yards, that, all this stuff that was just talking, looking at my athleticism, which I was off the charts in anyway. The second time they brought me down, I had to play against the entire team. And Anthony Bowie, who was their best defender, was the guy that guarded me the entire time. And I went down there and wrecked shot. And then with Dennis Scott playing, I made sure that Dennis was on my team and that he got every shot that he wanted. And Dennis was a big fan because he felt like Chris Webber would take away from him if Chris Webber came. So he was like, yeah, we need a guard. We don't need a forward. <laughs> and, you know, I love Chris. Chris and I are good friends. Uh, great player. Played against each other in high school as well in AAU. But I wanted to be in Orlando. Yeah, did that prompt any, you know, kind of box score watching throughout your career, uh, especially early on, to make sure that you were putting up similar similar numbers to Chris, kind of making sure that the Magic and Magic fans knew they made the right decision? Well, I just wanted to produce. You know, I wanted Chris to do well, obviously, because we were close friends from from way back. So I wasn't looking at his stats thinking that I had to do better. Obviously, I also wanted Rookie of the Year. Uh, we had two different situations because he was called upon to be a huge scorer his rookie season. I was on a, a, a playoff-type team that was building around Shaq. I knew where our bread was buttered. I was getting the ball to Shaq, and wherever I got points, I got points. But I wasn't trying to win Rookie of the Year. I was trying to make the playoffs. Now, you mentioned that he's a really nice guy, but with the top three picks being you, Chris, and Sean Bradley, would you and Chris ever look at each other and be like, what's this dude – doing in the same conversation as us or I mean you, you can really. be real about it not really and in, in, in that last statement I said about not wanting to win rookie of the year our team wasn't based around me I wanted to put up great stats and I wanted that but I knew it wasn't going to be to the point where I would sacrifice my shots or trying to really get it if that's if you know if that makes sense but no Chris and I never really looked at Sean Bradley like what is he doing here it was like hey Philly wanted him they knew what they were getting and, uh, you know, good for Sean, you know, and wanting him that we wanted our whole entire class to do well. Nick, Sam Purcell, all those guys, man. We wanted them to do well. Allen Houston, Lindsey Hunter, wanted those guys to do well. Can we talk your uh, Butch McRae days? Yeah. Well I, well, I mean, what was that experience like? How, I guess first, how did you land it? Well, I landed the, the job because of looking like a, a young kid that was just going to college as a freshman, even though I was leaving college going to the NBA. I fit the part, and the, uh, and the part that they had for me, they wanted it to be real. They wanted the, the character to know how to play ball and because they were going to make all of the scenes real action. Like, all of our basketball scenes, scenes were real basketball. The only thing that was scripted was the lob at the end, but all the other basketball was real live. Let's jump it up and let's play. And we'll, we'll take clips from these, from these, uh, from these moments. So who would have won one on one between you and uh, your your character Butch and, and Jesus Shuttlesworth? <laughs> Butch from from He Got Game. Yeah, 
Yeah, Bush, Bush is going to beat Jesus Shuttleworth. <laughs> Every time? <laughs> Every time. Okay. Every time. Uh, did you do any of the filming in French Lick, or were you at the other locations? No, we, we did it in uh, Lafayette. We did, we did the last part in Lafayette. My, my individual, when I was in high school at St. Joe, uh, it, was, it was done in Chicago. And then the college scene where we did the lob and we played the game against Coach Knight and those guys, um, that was in Lafayette. So when, Lafayette, uh, when movie stars have, you know, big movies, they're always nervous. They want it to open well. This was kind of just like gravy for you. You got to be in a, you know, big-time movie. Did you care how it did in the theaters or not really? I wasn't really looking at it that it would do bad, but I was really just happy to be in a movie. Yeah. You know, that's, that's, that was the biggest thing for me. Like, I'm actually in a movie. And a lot of people love the movie Blue Chips. Oh, it's great. Blue Chips wasn't a bad movie. It was a pretty good movie. It is, uh, is Nick Nolte kind of a wild card? Nick Nolte is just the, the truest professional. He is wild because <laughs> he's got in the character. He was in character the entire time. He never got out of character on set. Uh, Ed so O'Neill had an opportunity to be with Ed O'Neill for a second. Yeah. You know, he was like a reporter. Yeah. Alfred Woodard, who played my mom. I mean, I had a, I had a great time. What, was, who, what actor or actress were you most nervous to share a scene with? Nick. I had to do the scene with Nick when I wanted to leave school. I had to go talk to him in his office about, hey, man, if I leave, will my mom still keep her house and her job? And he wasn't trying to hear it. He was like, man, get out of here. You're not going anywhere. And that scene was pretty – that scene I had to – that's how I auditioned. I auditioned with that scene with him at, his, at the director's home in Hollywood. Now, do you know if what other players were up for roles in that movie? I do not. I do know that uh, Dwayne Martin – the actor Dwayne Martin, he ended up playing in Above the Rim. Um, he he was up for that character as well. He really wanted that that character. So you jumped from middle school right to college basketball at Memphis. Uh, talk about that jump and what it means to represent your hometown, you know, the school you went to as the head basketball coach. Well, I went three, three years of middle school and three years of high school, and then I came to college that little going through the grassroots part because I coached AAU for six years uh well really the first three years and then the TSSAA our school committee didn't allow me to coach so I was a part of the program for the next three years it's just building relationships and understanding kids and their mindset and what makes them tick I carried that and brought that to the college level and I'm able to identify it would have been much tougher if I would have left the NBA retired and became a college coach but to deal with the middle school, to deal with AAU, and to deal with high school, man, really prepared me for college. So let's let's talk a little bit of uh, Lil Penny. I was telling him earlier, I so I was in elementary when you were kind of blowing up, and I didn't want to pay attention during school. And for some reason, I thought I was very good at freehand drawing Lil Penny and you. And I would just recreate. It'd be like, have you ever seen the movie Superbad? Yes, and you know Jonah Hill has like his treasure chest of like dick drawings that he does. Yeah. That was me with Lil Penny. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I would draw it all day long. At what point did you know like you had a huge marketing superstar on your hands? Because there was a time in the '90s where Lil Penny was just as famous as you were. Yeah, no doubt about it. I knew right away because I love comedy. I'm a comedy freak, you know. So when they told me about the the alter ego and the situation and that it was gonna be Chris Rock, and this was before Chris Rock was really Chris Rock, but his voice, everyone knew his voice, I, and I heard the commercials, and they told me the plan and everything that was gonna happen. 
and the promotion, I was like, this is gonna hit big because people are gonna think this is so funny. You know, I'm quiet, I'm laid back, I'm reserved, and little Penny is so rambunctious. He's saying the things I really want to say, my alter <laughs> ego. So I feel like that would be that would be a hit, and it was. How involved with the creative process were you? I wasn't as involved. I think the company Wyden and Kennedy, they were an advertising agency that Nike used. They did a phenomenal job. Guy Stacy Walsh uh, of writing the scripts and and just playing them out. But I wasn't involved with the Little Penny scripts at all. I wish I could take credit for any of that, <laughs> but I can't. Do you have a favorite Little Penny line? From from the series, um, one for sure is that's Tyra Banks fool. Yeah. That was one of <laughs> that's Tyra Banks fool, and the other one was the Secret Service couldn't guard me. That I like that one yeah. as well. <laughs> I like that one. Before we get into our kind of wrap up segment here, I wanted to ask about. So you were kind of in the heyday of when we were talking, like massive free agency chases were coming into into account and I mean everyone knows that you had injuries that slowed down your career I want to get inside the head of like an NBA super duper star if you go back to those first handful of years you put up some ridiculous ridiculous numbers um, especially for your age when it was a situation where it was like just an injury is slowing me down how much mentally of a toll does that take on you it takes a humongous amount of energy a humongous toll because it was a bunch of days after games. I had to sit in my car for like 20 minutes, open the door and slowly unfold my legs because they were hurting so bad. I, I got a cortisone shot or I took some anti-inflammatories to play the game. Then after the game is wearing off, I go grab a bite to eat. And by the time I get home, Man, I limped into the house every night. I'm talking about in, in severe pain. I woke up with severe pain, and then I would do it all over again. And I would never wish that on anyone. So it was more than mental. It was physical as well because I was actually feeling so much pain. So was there ever a thought of retiring at a young age, or did you just love the game so much that, I mean, you just couldn't picture your life without it at that point? Yeah, no, I couldn't picture my life without it. You know, I think most of my injuries, I had six knee surgeries on my left knee. I think four of those surgeries was, were from me, my love of the game and trying to come back so soon to prove it. If I would have just set out, like Grant Hill set out two years. Uh, Tim Duncan, we were playing the Spurs in the first round of the playoffs when I was with the Phoenix Suns. He set out for what I was playing with. I was playing with a torn meniscus the entire series. He sat out with a torn meniscus. So I thought that I was just being tough and, and for the love of the game and really pretty much ended my own career because nobody really forced me to come back. It was just the love of the game. So, man, it was just some bad decision-making for me. Um, and I just, I never took the, the full amount of time of what I really needed to take to get well. Over the course of your career, played for three, four, four different clubs, had lots of different teammates. Was there any one specific teammate uh, that struck you as, more interesting than the rest or somebody that had a bigger um, impact on your career than the rest? Well, obviously the superstars in my life, Shaq, you know, Jason Kidd, uh, Dwayne Wade, and, uh, you know, guys of that nature, even Star Starberry, Stephon Marbury, uh, those guys playing with them was a huge honor to play alongside guys that can really bring it on a nightly basis. All those guys brought it. But the guys that stuck out for me were the guys like Bo Outlaw, Darryl Armstrong, um, guys like um, like that, that were just, 
Yadonis Haslam that were just the glue guys to a team that were hard workers, that were truly professional, that were, their energy was so contagious. Those are the guys that I, I, I loved playing with because they just kind of brought it every day. There was no, if they missed a shot, they put their head down. If they didn't get minutes, they bitched and moaned. They worked harder. Uh, it was just those professional guys that I, I kind of enjoyed, you know, being around and playing with. Who was the best empty gym shooter you ever played with? Just line them up in an empty gym and no pressure or anything, and they're just knocking down 90 out of 100 threes. Man, first it starts with 3D, Dennis Scott. Dennis Scott could shoot it from anywhere. You know, in the, you're meaning in the, in the NBA, right? Yep. Yeah, 3D was probably one of the best shooters I've ever played with. Yeah, the best shooter I've ever played with. Besides, you know, you got to talk about Allen Houston as well. Allen Houston was going through knee injuries, but he could really shoot it. I played with him in New York. Uh, those two guys in an empty gym <laughs> could fill it up for sure. Can you talk a little bit about the relationship, specifically when you were there, of of the city of Orlando with, with the Magic? Obviously, it was kind of a new team at that point. Did they immediately take to you guys? Yeah, Orlando, the city loved us. They 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 initially took to the Magic. It was a big deal. The fan base was really huge. We were a one-team town. There was no other professional team there, so everything about Orlando was about the Magic. So, yeah, the tent, the town was beautiful. They loved us, and we loved them. So I'm of the thought that without the injuries, you end up as a top five, ten guy in NBA history. I don't know if you feel the same way, but what I kind of want to get to is, do you also think you were a little bit ahead of your time? Because I think like prime penny now with the current NBA rules, you would put up some fairly ridiculous numbers. Yeah, I think, you know, without, you know, being too, too cocky, I think with the trajectory of what I was going and, and staying healthy, I could have been one of the, you know, the top 10 best players to ever play the game without having any injuries for sure. And I don't think a lot of people would dispute that. Um, do I think I was ahead of my time with the style? I could play back then and I could play now. Playing now, uh, obviously there's no hand check. Uh, the way that they play, uh, they, they want you to score. So the way that I could put up baskets, yeah. For sure, this era, I would, I felt like I would, I could have dominated this era as well. I mean, you would, you would average a triple double now, just calling a spade a spade. Because you, the way that the game is played with the bigs out on the perimeter now, I definitely would, would have had an opportunity to average a triple double. That's a hard thing to do. So I don't want to knock that because Russ has done it. Obviously, Big O has done it. Jason Kidd has a ton of triple doubles. LeBron, I would have definitely been in that category as well. So our guy Rob has some questions for you. Who the hell, who the hell, who the hell is Rob? All right. <laughs> You're about to see who Rob is. So Rob <laughs> Rob hangs out at our podcast. Um, he helps out a little bit. He's also – you're not going to believe me when you see him because he's goofy looking. He's the best He's the best open uh, empty gym shooter I've ever seen. Tell Your first question will drive that home. So go ahead with your first question. Yeah, I was just about to intro that to you. Um, you know, from a guy who's made 264 free throws in a row. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, how tough was it to watch uh, your boy Nick Anderson in that in that NBA Finals game? You know, it was tough because of my competitive nature. We wanted to win uh, that game because we played such a terrific game. And it was very tough. The, fir the first two, 
was no problem for me to watch. The last two, I think I put my head down the last the last free throw because I could just see he wanted it so badly that that energy was working against him. And then he missed the next two as well. What was, before he gets to his next question, what was the locker room like for Nick after that game? I mean, I assume you guys were pretty supportive, but I mean, that just had to be such a downer. We were definitely supportive, but you know, a guy of Nick's, you know, level, Nick was one of the better players in the NBA when I first came into the league. And uh, he was a guy that carried the Magic, so he was known as Mr. Magic. He, he, and you understand what he was competitive, on the competitive side, he was beating himself up enough that all we needed to do was support because he definitely, you know, didn't want that to happen. And he gave it his all. He was one of our better defenders, better players, and we needed him to get back mentally locked in so that we could win. And it never got to that point for us as a team, but the locker room was was pretty sad after that game. Did he or the Magic uh, hire his shooting coach or anything like that for him? No, we actually had a shooting coach. We had a shooting coach already, Buzz Raymond was our shooting coach. And uh, there was nothing, anything Buzz could do about it. Nick was a pretty good free throw shooter. So um, in the locker room, um, how many times did you guys uh, take Horace Grant's goggles from him and hide him? <laughs> it would take Shaq to do that. <laughs> Shaq, would Shaq would probably lick his thumb and then put the little squigglies all over his goggles. <laughs> he had to clean them. That's all Shaq right there. That's, that's Shaq's project, probably. Yeah, he and Horace. <laughs> all right. And then... Um, yeah, you uh, you mentioned uh, about um, uh, you know Shaq uh, dunking on guys and you dunking on guys. Uh, but when was it uh, the first time that your kid dunked on you? Uh, my son has not dunked on me. Oh, so, come no, on, Penny! Right, now, come on, Penny! He hasn't dunked on me. <laughs> is, is that because you're not playing I'm him one on one? Hard enough not to put myself in position to get dunked yeah. on. So that's <laughs> okay. All right. If I'm under the rim and he jumps and I jump, he's gonna dunk on me for sure. All right. Fair enough. <laughs> that's your questions. Yeah, those are my questions. Before right we there, wrap man. up, um, one of my dad's good friends is Darby Rich. Oh, Darby. Yeah, Darby. Man, we're excited about having Darby, man, for a lot of reasons. You know, he played the game, and then also he understands everything about the strength conditioning, and he's almost like a a fifth coach for us because he understands the game so well. Is he pretty high energy? Oh yeah. Darby's Darby's always on the on the edge and ready to roll. All right. So my last question is you say your son's never dunked on you. In the NBA, who hammered on you the worst? You know, one time in practice, Daryl Armstrong dunked on me. Daryl Armstrong. That's the only guy uh in the league that's really dunked on me. We were in practice and I was joking around with him and I started jogging you know, to mess with him because I was like, I'm going to block your shot. And and Daryl could really jump. And this time, I guess he felt like, man, I'm going to get up higher because I know he's going to block it. And I went casually to be like, I'm going to, I'm going to block it. And he dunked on me. So what I did the next practice was we got on a fast break to where I stole the ball. And instead of me speeding up, I jogged it. And then I let him jump. And then I grabbed him and dunked on him <laughs> to get him back. <laughs> Yeah, I was not expecting to hear Daryl Armstrong. Especially when that's he makes the only layups. Guy that's ever dunked on me, especially when he makes layups and dunk contests. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. I saw that. You remember his dunk contest back when he was uh participating? Yeah. Uh, the, hey, the I do moves. I do have one other question for you though. When was it that you started to wear the uh wristband on top by the elbow? I started doing that I think right away, because in college I wore my wristband on my calf. I don't ask me why. I, I put the wrist, I pulled the wristband up and wore it on my calf. 
when I got to the league, I just started wearing it on my elbow. I think I started doing that right away, the normal wristbands, and I started telling my uh, equipment manager to start ordering the wristbands with my name and my number on them. Because, uh, uh, real talk, because you did that, I started doing it too. <laughs> oh, wow, I really cool. did. Does anybody do that anymore? Huh? Does anyone do that anymore in the league? I don't think I don't, I don't think anybody does anymore. I mean, who's gonna put a wristband on their elbow? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I still do. No, just, <laughs> <All right. laughs> That's why you made 264 free throws in a row. Yeah, exactly. It, it made me feel like I was a better shooter too. <laughs> Penny, thank you so much for your time. Post COVID, we're gonna come down to Memphis and check out a game. We're going to be right, there. Yeah, let's do it, man. Let us know when. All we'll right, be ready. we'll do. And again, thank you a ton for your time. Hope you had a good time. And uh, I hope you got to relive some of those memories. Oh, yeah. No, thank you, guys. I really appreciate it. Yep.